Psalm 37. These principles that we're going to look at here have such a a root in the Christian life that to understand them, we can get a little bit more of a, a grasp on our God. First thing, uh, first of the points that I want to talk about, the four points I want to talk about is verse 3, to trust in the Lord. And to do good, to dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And that's what the translators of the New King James uh, translated that, to feed on his faithfulness. Now the concept here is that we are to, to trust in him, to dwell within him. To feed or to, to consume ourselves on his faithfulness. It is very hard to trust in the Lord when we don't understand how faithful he is. It's hard to put our trust in the Lord when we're always worried about we might lose something that we have gotten. In other words, if we are told that the Lord Jesus Christ died to save us from our sins, past, present, and future... Then we have people that, that creep into the church and say, well, you know, that, that's true, but. It's amazing how the one little word, but, can start adding so much fear and so much doubt in our mind. I am not going to trust the buts of the world, but I'm going to trust the word of my God. And he says that I can trust in him. And by the trusting in him, I'm not going to do good, not to, not to gain his favor, I want to do good in the land because I have been entrusted with eternal life. I've been trusted with this God, and I know that he's righteous, just, holy, and pure. He does nothing wrong. He says everything appropriate. You think about these things. By trusting in the Lord and dwelling in this land, we have to dwell here. You know, I was just reading something from a wonderful gentleman by the name of Ed Heinsohn yesterday to my wife talking about the, the, the context of the Christian life here. There's a tension between, you know, the, Christ, the, the, the heavenly looking heavenly for the return of Christ at any, at any time, and, and also being down here and occupying. You know, there's that, there's that uh, interchange there. We're constantly looking for the Lord, and yet he says to occupy until he comes. We need to dwell in the land. That's just the way it is. When we trust in the Lord and we do good and feed on his faithfulness, we start realizing a precedent here for our life. God is allowing us to be here for a reason. We're walking through this wilderness, this life, and he asks, are you going to trust in me? Trust and believe are synonymous in the Bible. Now, I know I've said this a lot, and maybe, maybe some of you do do it, maybe some of you don't. I just put it out there. If you want to see how important this is before the Lord, take a good concordance or go through your Bible meticulously and see what the Bible has to say truly about trust and belief. This Christian life we have is a life of belief, faith, trust, it is very difficult to say that I believe in somebody, but I don't trust in them. Or it's very belittling to, to uh, 
a seasoned person to say, well, I, I trust in the Lord, but I, I just don't believe that he knows what I'm going through. I trust in the Lord, but I, I, I just don't know what he's going on. So therefore, I'm, I'm, instead of trusting in him and doing good and feeding on his faithfulness, I'm going to give in to doubt and speculation and worry. As we go through these four points this morning, I want to ask, our, I want to ask a, a question that will hit the home to every person, and, and we must answer these things. And I do this because I love you all. And I want us to be rock solid from the inside first. Because Jesus said, when you're religious hypocrisy, you know, you clean the outside of the dish. You look all polished. But you know, the, the inside is not. And I'm not trying to say that some of us have a dirty inside, but ask this question to yourself. Do you trust in the Lord? Are you doing good because you trust in Him? How are you dwelling in this land? Are you feeding on His faithfulness? And by the way, the same psalm as David wrote, Psalm 23, and, and that's only six verses, but when you look at that psalm, God knows when to cause us to lie down between in, in not only the green pastures, but beside the still cool waters. He knows when to lead us up in the trail for the righteousness for his name's sake. He knows exactly what we need. He knows how to use that staff, which, by the way, if you've ever seen shepherd's staff, which I'm sure we all have, there's two aspects for it. One for correction and guiding and one for defending. Think about that. One for correction and guiding and one part of it for defending. God uses sometimes the crook of his word to guide us and, and, and keep us in line. And show us that we need security, you know. And yet, for those wild things out in the in the in the yonder, if you will, those beasts and those wolves, he also uses that staff to club them to death to protect. So, it really is a question on: Do you know your God or not? To trust in Him, you know, to to know somebody, you must trust in them. If you really say that you know them and you cleave to them, I trust explicitly in my wife. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 31 that the heart of the man safely doth trust in her. Okay, It's not the fact that I, I know that she'll do the things that I want her to do because quite frankly, sometimes she doesn't do the things that I want her to do and her and me to her. But I trust in the character. I know the character of my wife. My wife's only human. My marriage is going to cease when I die. Or, or when we're with the Lord. My relationship with Jesus Christ will go forever. I trust in the one that is from all eternity. See, you under, God understands something. Jesus Christ is eternal life. He is eternal. So to trust in him is, is an eternal consequence. To trust in him is an eternal uh, happening on your life. And what you do now and today, that when we prepare today, is, is definitely going to have the consequences for tomorrow, whether tomorrow will be another day here or whether we will be in eternity. Do you trust in the Lord? Do you dwell in this land by feeding on his faithfulness or being with the one that is absolutely faithful?
It will change the outlook of your life. It will change the steadfastness of your heart. And it will also change your testimony. People will start looking at you as, as one who at least he stands on his word. There might be something of validity to what he says or what he does. To trust in the Lord is not simply to, to make a confession of something because it is popular or it is the right thing to do or something maybe you were taught on your grandpappy's knee. To trust in the Lord is to realize who he is. He is God and he is absolutely trustworthy. There is nothing that we can say or do that he doesn't already know. There is nothing that we have gone through that he has not already atoned for and been there. But more importantly, if, if not for the sake of argument, there's nothing we are going to go through or nothing that's going to befall us in this life that he hasn't already he, just, he knows about. You know, we used to have a saying uh, uh, that he's already in your tomorrow. That is a fact. Jesus is eternal. I think the King James had it right. Again, and I just say this because to prove my point, if, if John chapter 3, verse 13, let me just quote it real quick. I, I love it. John chapter 3, I believe it's verse 13. Jesus says, no, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. You know, and the only reason why I bring that up is not for any kind of argument, but for the fact that that, it, that is right. And I'm not saying the exclusion of that is not right, that the last phrase of that, uh, of that verse, but what I'm saying is that it's right theology. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, a, a mystery that, that is a wonderful understanding. But he never ceased it to be God. He laid aside his prerogatives, as we see in Philippians. Okay? But he also exercised that at, his, at the will of the Father when he was trying to show people who he was. He did things and said things that only God can do. But when he was in here and he came down, no one has come down and, and descended or sent us for the Son of Man who is in heaven. And we see that in other parts of Scripture too. He is one who inhabits eternity. Jesus said an amazing thing. If you were to see me, you see the Father. Trust in him. Dwell in this land and feed not on your faithfulness or not on the faithfulness of, of anybody else, but his faithfulness. He is the one that is going to solidify your faith. Did you realize that? He might use a pastor. He might use different means. Whatever he does. But it's him that solidifies your faith. It's him that solidifies your, your understanding of your position in Christ, so the winds of this world will blow, and they will not blow you down. To dwell and to feed on his faithfulness. The second point I wanted to, to bring out is to delight ourselves also in the Lord. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Wow, we can, you know, a lot of people pull that out of context, and they think, wow, you know, if I desire all these things. I desire, you know, two chickens in the pot. I desire three cars. I desire all this. That's not exactly what God is saying here. We've got to put Scripture with Scripture. And he throws a lot of things. You know, Solomon. 
I love, I love Solomon. In First Kings, David died. David just dies, you know, and, and he carries out the things, you know, he executes Joab because Joab, the commander of, of David's army, had killed Amasa and um, I, the other name escapes me, excuse me, and basically of innocent people, innocent blood, on non-war time, for example. So he goes and he takes care of Joab, he takes care of the things that David had put down for him. In Gibeon, God comes to Samuel in a dream. What would you like me to do for you? Well, taking this verse out of context, Lord, I just want the money issue, you know, taken care of. You know, I just want to be this and that. No, what Solomon prayed about, all pastors should read and know, this is what pleases the Lord, I believe. Solomon says, Lord, I'm a youth. I don't know, as I ought to know, basically. Who can lead these great many people of yours? I want to do it right. I want to be your spokesman. I want to be the type of leader they look at. They don't see me, they see you. And it pleased the Lord. And then God said, because the, the, the priority of your heart, this is Jeff Grant paraphrase here, priority of your heart was, was me and doing what pleases me and leading my people who are the apple of my eye and everything I care about I'm not only going to grant you that but I'm also going to grant you riches or whatever you know to delight ourselves in the Lord is to delight in him and his desire not necessarily our desires he will give you the desires of your heart Elsewhere in the Word of God, we're told when we pray according to the will of God, He hears us. You know? Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Now, the word delight is, is, is peculiar. To delight doesn't mean that you're, you're happy one minute and not happy the next. To delight yourself in the Lord is, not only, is, is to have restful harmony, or harmony in resting. Delighting, you know? It's not because, uh, well, gee, something happened five minutes ago and I'm really happy about it. Delighting in something is resting in it and delighting in a harmony of atmosphere that comes from the inner gladness that God puts in your heart because that's who he is. So you see, the logical progression from trusting to delighting is only logical. I trust in the Lord. Was it always that way? No. Does a brand new Christian, somebody comes into Christ, obviously, you know, has everything, he says, you know what, that's it, man, I'm just going to, no. But as I've said at the beginning of this message, as we progress in the Christian life, we start realizing that God puts an, an understanding in our heart. When we go through the Word of God, that He is not only a delivering God, and we've said this all through the years, and you can trace that all the way through the Old Testament, and the Lord delights to show himself that he delivers. You know, we're in the book of Joshua on, on uh, Wednesday night. Only gotten through the first nine verses, but it's constant. Be courageous. Be courageous. Be courageous. Be courageous. He delivers. You know, when, when they walk in faithfulness, he delivers. They can trust in him because that's what he does. And the second point that we're going to find out as we go through the, the, the book of Joshua and elsewhere is that not only God delivers us, but God Guards, guides, and keeps. He preserves. Okay? 
the attitude of being on probation is just a, a very, very uh, a skewed form of thinking. In other words, you know, you better watch out because uh, you can lose your salvation or you can lose the, the standing that we have or position we have in Christ. Well, if that's the truth, nobody has ever in 30 some odd years has ever showed me a scripture where God says, watch out, here's the fine line, here's what you can do, you cross over this, you're gone. Our God is a faithful God. He delivers us from our sin. He delivers us from our plight. He delivers us from judgment. He delivers us from the wrath to come. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. He fills us with himself. We can walk in the spirit. He gives us the joy, the inner gladness. We can feed on that. We can rest in that. You know, Hebrews chapter 4 is a big one. We can rest. We can rest. We can rest. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews that, that if you look at the book of Joshua, wow, if Joshua would have given them rest, there would have been no meaning of another day. Joshua's a forerunner, if you will. Joshua's a type. Jesus is the only one that gives us rest. And so in the attitude of harmony in that rest, we can delight ourselves in the Lord. He's going to give us the desire of our heart. Well, let me ask you one thing. What does the heart cry out for more and more as time goes on? Life, peace. It's one of them. We all want peace. I thought I had peace. I, I had nothing but turmoil in my life. What if, what if, what if? God takes the what ifs away so we can delight in him. He will give us the desire of our heart when we start realizing that the true desire of our heart is knowing Christ, fellowshipping with Christ, having the joy of Christ, leading others to Christ, Seeing others that were in bondage to sin all their life all of a sudden become freed and joined in Him. You know, we said a thing if you're trusting, you're not worrying. If you're worrying, you're not trusting. Think about that. So many people want to play mind games with God. Oh, I trust in the Lord. And yet they're filled with worry and anxiety, depression. You know, anxiety, wow. Anxiety is where we get the term hypertension. <laughs> when it goes beyond, beyond a certain point, it's like high blood pressure. It, it's very hard to reverse. The third point I wanted to touch on is to commit your way to the Lord. The verse says, trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. So we have our trusting in the Lord. We have our delighting ourselves in the Lord. And now comes to commit everything we do to the Lord. You know, we can't go very far through the book of Proverbs. Those of you who've been with us uh, these last two years on Monday night, the last two times we've gone through the Proverbs, that's evident. Evident. You know, I think that we should really kind of take the time here. I'm almost done with this message, but uh, I want to I want to share just a few things, and maybe it will kind of open your understanding and give you some delightful things. I want to just say three points alone on that out of Proverbs 16. Okay, you don't have to turn there; but just listen. These three points have helped me all through my life, my Christian life, and especially as I start 
gaining understanding of who Christ really is. First one I want to point out is Proverbs 16, verse 1. The preparations of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The preparations of the heart, you know, Solomon said, in another part of Proverbs, he said, he said my heart, the king's heart, is like channels of water. And it's the Lord that turns the channels of water wherever he wills. Okay? But the, again, verse 1 here of, of, of the 16th Proverbs, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The second one I want to point out is, is that just in verse 3, Verses down, commit your works to the Lord. The New King James says, and your thoughts will be established. I believe that, that the correct translation is just me, is plans. But plans and thoughts, you know, I, I, can, I can interchange with. That's okay. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts or your plans will be established. You know, the Bible says another part of Proverbs that, that to let our ways be established. You know, to ponder the path of our feet. And let our ways be established. Are your ways established in the Lord? And the last one I wanted to look at in, in the 16th proverb is the last, the last verse, verse 33. It just says, the, the lot, much like the first verse, the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. So after we've trusted back in Psalm 37 and verse 3, we get a little understanding of how we can we are able to delight ourselves in the one that we absolutely trust, you know, to dwell in the land of feed on his faithfulness. I can trust in him no matter what comes my way. Because it's not blind faith. I'm just not saying, you know, I I'm just gonna trust. I don't know how, I'm just gonna trust. Like the the guy, the, the true story. The guy that came that was trying to witness to a Muslim. And the Muslim says, Well, wait a minute, if you, if your religion is right, whatever, how how do you know that? He says, I just take it all by faith. I just trust. And the Muslim looks at him, he said, Brother, he said, uh, I trust and I believe in the Quran. I just take it by faith. Does God ever say, Hey, nah, just take it by faith? No, he says, to see me is to see the Father. God demonstrated his love. And why the fact that I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I just take it by faith. You know, some, you know, if the Bible was just a bunch of pithy sayings and said, you know, hey, man, just take it by faith. But God says, I will give you something to think about. And that's me. I will show you in my word that I am absolutely faithful. That's me. And that I am the delivering God and I'm a keeping God and I will guard your heart, your mind, and Christ Jesus and your position. That's me. And you go all through the scriptures and that's what a big understanding of why the scriptures of the word of God is because from Genesis to Revelation, the prophets to everybody else has one congruent theme and that is God himself. God never changes. God never deviates. God is not this way here and that way there. His character is the same. I, the Lord God, I change not. We went through that when we were in Malachi. So now I can try trust in every word, and now because of this one who has my life in the palm of his hands, you know what? I can delight in him. When was the last time you delighted in the Lord? 
When was the last time you realized that you can absolutely, in the harmony of your soul, delight in Him? Now I'm asking you to look at the third point again in verse 5, to commit your way. Are you willing to commit everything that you have to the Lord? To trust all Him, also in Him? And He will bring it to pass? Lord, I don't know what my gift is. Lord, I don't know how you can use me. Are you trusting in him to do that? That's his business. Yours to be obedient. The Bible says that he will bring it to pass. And the third, the fourth point, excuse me, uh, that I want to to hit on in verse 7 is rest in the Lord or be still in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Ah, that's the difficult part, isn't it? To wait patiently for him. I've already told you about the story about my my life. I was so wanting to teach the Bible, and I was so wanting to to desperately tell people through the Scripture what had happened to me again. I was changed. I, I, I had something had happened to me. And I, I, wanted, I was so wanting to go and do and tell people everything. I remember the first time that I had a, <laughs> that I had a Bible study. I'd been in the Lord about a year. Way over my head. But the Lord knew the, the, my, the motives of my heart. And I was way over my head. And I went and the, the Bible study lasted for about six months. And after a while, I just, I, I, I finally had to stop. And it, it felt like a thousand pounds of bricks were lifted off me. And I was bewildered and I wondered. And the Lord never chided me. The Lord guarded me. The Lord guided me. The Lord brought me up. And I had a man come to me one day and he said to me, he said, I know, you know, God knows the desires of your heart. And it's not up to you what the timing of how he wants to use you. And you know, it was years after that. And slowly but surely, out of of feeding on his word, being instructed in life, he started fulfilling that desire in my heart. In other words, Wait patiently for him. He's going to do it. He's going to do whatever your heart desires because a desire is not something that you see something one day and it flees the next day. A godly desire is something that God plants within you and through time it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows grows until it just gushes forth, you know. But we need to rest in him. We need to rest in the fact that we are His. Do you rest in that fact? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are His? Despite circumstances. Do you know He's faithful to you despite circumstances? Do you know that He is going to keep you from now until billions of years in the future when you're resting in His kingdom? Do you rest in that? Do you know that? Was the Apostle Paul delusioned when he wrote in Philippians 1.6 that he began a good work and you will complete it and finish it till the day of Christ Jesus? Was he deluded? 
Did he sit under Norman Vincent Pale and positive thinking and, and did it, you know, or was he stating a confident fact? Are we resting in the Lord? Do you rest in him? Or, or is there a constant turmoil in your life about issues? Or about maybe your eternal life issues? Or do you rest in him? Are you still before him? You know, the Lord says an amazing thing in Psalm 46. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very help, present help in a time of trouble. But in that wonderful psalm is, is another verse that the unfortunately is, is gaining prominence over the New Age movement and everything else. Of course, I don't call it the New Age movement now. I'm kind of dating myself. But in that same psalm, in Psalm 46.10, they take a wonderful verse and God says the same vernacular of understanding, be still and know that I am God. And then he goes on, he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And without taking that out of context, it, it's, it's a fact, but he also is talking in the context of that song about war ceasing and so forth. God is the one that's in control, but God is also the faithful one that is in control of your life. And I ask you again, let's go over these points. Number one, are you trusting in the Lord? Are you feeding on his faithfulness? Or somehow, does it, does it, is it an issue for you that you must navigate somehow through this life? And be a Christian at the same time. That is a very burdensome task that God does not have in view for us. We are not to confess the name of Christ and yet burden ourselves or allow us to navigate through this life as if there were no God. Trust in the Lord, do good, and feed on his faithfulness. Are you delighting in the Lord because you can trust and rest in this one that's got your life in the palm of his hands? That's what delighting is. You cannot delight in God without trusting fully in Him. And the third point, to commit your way to the Lord. Are you committing everything you have to Him? Well, you don't understand. I'm not a pastor. I don't care. Millions and billions of people that the Bible's ministered to aren't pastors and aren't in places of, of ministering to many people at once. What if you're a school teacher? Influential? Wow. <laughs> we only have one school teacher in here. Well, we've had more than that. We have one presently. And I'm here to say that secularly, I have been influenced by a few people in my school time. Secularly, how much more spiritually? God says his word will not come back void. What a great responsibility. I don't care what you do in life. You have an opportunity to commit your life and commit your way to the Lord. Remember Solomon. My heart is like the channels of water, you know? It's the Lord that, that makes the windings and the bends. It's the Lord that does what he wants to do. Commit our way to the Lord. 
Brethren, I'm telling you, I'm asking you and admonishing you on these four points to trust in the Lord, to delight yourself to the Lord, to commit your way into the Lord, and finally, again, to rest in the Lord. Rest in the fact that you are His and He is yours. Wait patiently for Him. Don't fret because of Him who prospers in His way. Don't fret because it seems like the schemes of this world and the schemes of this plastic Christianity are gaining the tide. You know, it's kind of like having two saplings together and one sapling grows really quick and the other doesn't. Can you see the, the absurdity of one going, I can't believe it, how come you're growing? We've got the same soil, we got the same sun, and yet God chooses to cause one to grow. Does that mean he has one favor over the other? We know that God has no favoritism. God loves me no less than he loves you. We can rest in that. We can rest that God knows what he's doing in your life. God knows what he's doing in your life. That's one of the points that I was taught when I was going through this. How come my Bible study doesn't help? I'm just wanting people to understand. Well, God knows what he's doing. And he will bring it to fruition. Do you believe that? Because I'll tell you what, brethren, if you don't believe that, you're not resting in the Lord. God has your life. Let him run with it. Let him be king. Let him be master. Let him be Lord of your life. Rest in him. Wait for him. Now these four points, I just want to let you know, the Lord doesn't forsake his saints. He doesn't forget you. He doesn't say, oh, wow, you know what? I left Jeff Graham on the back burner. I forgot about him. I better go check up on him before he really wonders where I am. God is not a God like that. Our God is perfect. He's everywhere at once. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He does everything perfect. Always has, always will. He doesn't change. He's not going to forget me. He's not going to forget you. He knows exactly what he wants to do with you. Are we willing to take the lower seat? Or are we like James and John and want that thing of predominance? Are we willing to take the lower seat? Because there is no lower seat. Let me tell you that right now. There is no lower seat in the kingdom of God. There's no lower seat. Now, you might think that that just because you go to a church and the, and the pastor has his pulpit way up here and all that, he has the exalted position, does he? It's not what the Bible says. We are all brothers. We all have callings. We should, we should be administering encouragement and whatever to encourage in that calling. Are you resting in the Lord because you're one that just all you can do is go to work and pray? Are you, are you saying that you're not a predominance and you can't rest in the Lord because, you know, you really probably should be doing something else even though you don't know what that other thing is? That's a source of frustration for a lot of people. Rest in Him. Abide in Him. Know Him. Our God is a faithful God. He is beyond our comprehension. But get to know Him by the Word of God and through the Word of God. And the last thing I want to say is the fact that he's not only going to not forsake you, but he's going to preserve you and keep you forever. 
I've already gone over my time that I wanted for this morning, but let me, let me admonish you and leave you with this. That that word preserve doesn't mean like we buy a loaf of bread and it's loaded with preserves so it won't mold after a while. Preserving means that it will never mold, that it will never die, that it will never fade. That word preserving in the scripture is much like the word guarded and guided through the epistles and the rest of the word means that when God causes to be his own, he keeps his own. He's a good gardener. He's a better gardener than any one of you. And I'm sure you have great gardeners. My, my husbandman is this. He keeps me. I'm part of his field. He knows how to keep me. He knows how to preserve me. He is a great gardener, if I would just let him. He loves you with an everlasting love. He will not let you go. We can rest in him. He is wonderful. Father, I thank you, Lord, this morning for just these few points in your word. I love the fact that your word is so magnificent that we would, could never exhaust the depths of it. And yet it is life-giving and refreshing. It's like having a cup of cool water on a hot and dry and thirsty day. We can be refreshed at it at any time. I pray that we would take advantage of this, that we'd be constantly coming to your word and realizing. I pray you'd take these points home this morning, that we'd be encouraged our God is a keeping God, one who has delivered us from every evil, from the wrath of God, from judgment, every evil that could come our way. And he's a preserving God that what he began in us, we can be confident and sure that he is going to perfect until the time he comes back to bring us unto himself. And that where he is, that where we will be forever. Praise God. I thank you, Lord. And I do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, to grow in our Christ, we got to get back to the beginning. And we got to build upon that foundation. The foundation is Christ and leave the growth to him. Leave it to him. That's, that's the whole understanding of this. I get so excited about this because, you know, I'm not a very... Uh, my dad used to say, if you have avenues, use them all. You know, he, that's all he left me with. And sometimes I'm going, I don't know what avenue to use. You know, and it's very confusing sometimes. Jesus never, ever leaves us with that. I want to read something. If you want to turn to John chapter 15... And let's just enjoy these passages together because remember remember the passage. Keep your, your thumb in 1 John. You know, if you heard from the beginning that which abides in you, and we, you know, and, and think about that. Think about that very hard about the beginning. When you use that vernacular, the beginning. Think about what the beginning really is. Not only the beginning of the, of, of the gospel, of the message, but the beginning himself, which is Jesus Christ. The Word of God made flesh and dwelt among us. 
So we, we, we read again, just to refresh our minds real quick. If you, you're sitting there, John 15, let me go back and read just real quick. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you also abide in the Father and in the Son. Listen to this, though. I, I, I'll go on in the next verse. Keep, keep in, in John there. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. We've talked about that. Now, back in John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Look at verse 4. Abide in me. Here we go. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him bears little fruit, much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Listen, folks, there's a lot of people out there that call themselves Christians. There are a lot of people out there that, that will give you a message from Satan. It's the ones that are abiding in Christ, the ones that receive his word and abide in him. Look at what he says in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. My, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will prove to me my disciples. Now back in 1 John, John knew Christ intimately, by the way. It's obvious. Leaned against his breast. See, that's what that's what I think a lot of us need to learn how to do. Do you lean against your Savior's breast, so to speak? Are you that comfortable with him? Can you just lay yourself against him and just say, Lord? I hurt today. Lord, I'm upset today. Lord, I don't understand today. Or, Lord, I am so overjoyed, I can't believe that, that you have given me everything. And just, or just lay before him. A lot of times, you can't say anything. Because you're so, uh, you're so joyed in his presence. Can you lean against his breast, so to speak? That's what abiding in him means. Abiding in Him means we are so comfortable with Him that He is our life and we are satisfied with that. We will seek no other life other than the life that pleases Him. Jesus said it. Father, I do all things that please you. All things that please the Father. But this abiding, John says that if this abiding abides in you, you're going to abide in the Son and the Father. And he says, and not only that, this is the promise that he's promised us, eternal life. Does God go back on his promises? You know, I am so longing, uh, not only for several reasons, but to, to see him. Not only as he is, but, but to allow this church age to be over with. Excuse me, because Christ's words, and I want to see his whole word be vindicated. And it will. I don't have to do it. 
All that to do is speak the truth, but there are so many people that malign it. There are so many people that say God will do something, and God never says he would do it. God, people say, you know, if you're abiding in Christ, or you're truly Christian, you can lose your salvation. Did God ever say that? Or that's just an example. God's word is what he says. I don't care what I think it says. I better know what it says. Or I have no business giving you a bunch of opinions and falsifying a document that I'm going to held accountable for. And that's what John's doing right here. He's saying, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to go back to the beginning. Okay? What you heard from the beginning. Okay? And then we're going to build from there. And all the apostles do this. The apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, Jesus himself. I am the cornerstone, he said to the religious people. I'm it. I'm the cornerstone. And you people have rejected it. And now you're telling me, you're coming to me on the doctrines and precepts of men. That's the understanding here. And we need to understand that God is the one that lays down the foundation, not we. We're to abide in it. We're to receive it. We're to cause it to allow its growth to happen in us. And by the way, he throws in that this is a promise of eternal life because that's where growth comes from, eternal life. If we don't have eternal life in us, we have no fruit that glorifies the Father. None. And John says, I know you know this, and that's why I'm writing to you. He says in verse 26, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Deceive you. Wow, that's wonderful. You mean I can be deceived? Yes. You mean there's deception out there? Yes. One of the things that, that is a, a joy about reading the Bible through and through from cover to cover is that we know that deception, where it came from. We don't have to think, gosh, you know, Joe Bob over here thinks he knows the truth and poor guy because, you know, whatever. We know where ultimate deception comes from way back in the garden. The first deception known to man, again, was spiritual deception. Yea, hath God really said, hey, come on, you, no, wait a minute, wait. You're trying to tell me that a guy, okay, I understand that Jesus was born, he's in all this stuff. You, God? You, you're telling me that he's God? You're telling me that one man 2,000 years ago can, could, could forgive me of my sin? No, I'm not telling you that at all. I'm telling you that Jesus Nazareth is perfect man and perfect God. He proved it by the life that he lived. He went to the cross. He paid the penalty for your mind sin. He proved it again by raising from the dead. And he lives. And he's coming back. But you, little children, you abide what you heard from the beginning, what you know, and you know what? You abide in him, and there's going to become ones that are going to try to deceive you more and more and more as the time goes on. Look at verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you and concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Now, here's where proper understanding of the word of God is, is so practical. I have had, I, <laughs> I have had people tell me, 
That's proof that I don't need anybody to teach me. Well, first of all, that goes against what the Word of God says. The second of all, if that's true, then Paul really mistakenly wrote the fourth chapter of Ephesians about apostles and prophets and all that. And then secondly, Jesus must have been deluded when he had to teach the disciples in the upper room that all things that were written was concerning himself. But nonetheless, this teaches two things that we have learned in context in just 1 John. Number one, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Anyone to teach you what? Teach you that what you have heard from the beginning is true. Jesus Christ is God. When you were born again, there was nobody that had to come into your life and say, Pam, you know what? Let me tell you something. Jesus is God. You knew. And the, the other thing that he's, he's showing here is that this anointing from the Holy Spirit teaches us to abide in Him. Look at the context. Take this context and go through just the epistles of John alone. Go back to John, or you know, the all of it, or not the all of discourse, but go back to John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and see what Jesus was talking about. We can't go to John 17 because he said that probably is high praise of prayer in the garden. But nonetheless, we go to those chapters and we see in context that two things that we're talking about here. The anointing teaches us to, to you know, we know from the beginning. Well, you heard from the beginning, abides in you, but the Spirit himself also teaches us the fact to abide in him. We don't need a teacher to say, you need to walk with Christ you know, we, we have admonitions, we have, we have encouraging, we have messages like, you know, this morning, or what have you. But the Spirit himself, to a born-again one, says, you are to walk in him. You are to abide in him. He simply wrote this, it is clear from this passage that the Holy Spirit teaches us to abide in Christ. The importance of being filled with the Spirit, like Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, is obvious. If we're admonished to abide in Christ by the Spirit himself, isn't it obvious and so telling when Paul says, Be ye filled with the Spirit? The Spirit-filled life is the abiding life it is profitable in practical ways. I just want to say just a few of them. The abiding in Christ is profitable and practical for husbands. Truly love and care for their wives. To walk in, in Jesus Christ to truly please the Father. Abiding in Christ and being filled with the Spirit is indicative to be uh, victoriously to enter into the spiritual warfare that Paul talks about in, in, in Ephesians 6. And finally, it is only logical to be filled with the Spirit and abiding Him to finally be the kind of ambassadors for Christ that is well-pleasing to God. These are some of the areas that 
that why it is so important not only to abide in Him, but to be filled with Him. And being filled with the Spirit teaches us to abide in Him. You can't get around it. All of the apostles and Jesus Himself, it is important and it is imperative to be filled with the Spirit. We dare not go into spiritual warfare not being filled with the Spirit. Because if we're not filled with the Spirit, we're not wielding the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God. We're not putting on the armor of God. To be filled with the Spirit is not truly loving our mate and putting their interests before us. Not being filled with the Spirit is very difficult to walk pleasing to the Father. And again, the last one I want to mention, if you're taking notes, the last part of not, it's, it's very difficult, if not if impossible, to be the kind of ambassadors for Christ that is well-pleasing to him. So this anointing teaches us these things. Wow, what a difference we're going to see when we get into chapter 3. <laughs> chapter 3 becomes very, very much in focus when we understand the last part of chapter 2 and the abiding in him and the knowing him, the being filled with the Spirit. And, and it, it, when it's contrast against the sin of, of, of the child uh, of Satan, which he does continually, he can't help it, versus God. It is very apparent. We want to know. And I'll end this morning at verses 28 and 29. Let's read those two verses. And now, little children, I love little children. Verse 18, little children. Verse 28, little children. We will use this word elsewhere. Abide in him. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming or shrink away at his coming. Now he's going to say here that, that because, you know, we won't be you know, will be left behind. He's not saying that. He's not involving fear here. He's writing to his little children. Isn't that the part of upbringing sons, fathers? Is that they want to do things that won't bring shame? Read the Proverbs. Listen to the instruction of a father. Don't forget the law of thy mother. Wrap them around your neck. Okay? They're the rejoicing, rejoicing in my heart when my sons do what is right. It's rejoicing. It is something that, that a, a, a child to their parent, is a good parent, teaches. I don't want you to be ashamed of your life. I want you to be confident, and so on and so forth. This is what, this is what we're looking at here. Abide in Christ. So that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I want to read that passage again real quick, um, because it is, it is uh, so much parallel to these understandings. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Do we all agree that we've been raised with Christ? We all agree. Okay? We have a position in the heavenlies that's our inheritance. 
We've been raised with Christ. God looks at us that way. And he admonishes, hey, since these things have been, seek those things which are above. Go about Christ's business, not your own. He'll take care of you. Are you a better provider than Christ? If somebody says yes, they're pretty bold because you're pretty boldly wrong. Nobody, nobody that can provide better than our Heavenly Father. He even feeds the birds. He even clothes the little flowers in the field. They don't got to sit here and sweat. Try to, you know, he even clothes them. How much more is he going to clothe you? How much more is he going to take care of you? Read Matthew chapter 6, for example. Nobody can provide better than God for you. So if we've been raised with Christ, we are to seek things above, where Christ is seating at the right hand of God. By the way, that's our position. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will be appeared in glory. So he's saying, and now, little children, after I've written to you these briefly, these brief, by the way, I can't say, now that I've written to you things in chapter 2, because when this is written, there was no chapter divisions. No chapters and no verses. This, this was a letter written, uh, a serious letter, a loving letter. And by the way, after you have read this letter, circulate this letter around. It's important. Make sure you get the memo. You know, we used to do at work. You know, make sure everybody gets it. It's important. Now we seem to say, well, I, gee, my version doesn't say that. So, you know, no, let's... Uh, Let's get into the, the Word and the Spirit of the Lord and read the Word of God and pass it around, so to speak, in our own life. We are living epistles, so to speak. Little children, abide in Him. That when He appears, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Well, to write that, obviously there are going to be those that are ashamed at His coming. If you know that he is righteous, here's where he starts. Actually, if I had a division of, of this letter, I would have started chapter 3, verse 29. But nonetheless. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now that's the gateway of to, to chapter 3. If we understand this and we, we and we link chapter or verse 29 to the rest of that chapter, we start understanding here that there is a a life that is lived that is indicative of one that is abiding in Christ, one that is doing his business and abiding in him, being filled with the Spirit, being the ambassadors that that is well pleasing to God. You know that he's righteous because we've been to the beginning. We know him who is from the beginning. Isn't that what this Bible first started out? Look at chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen in their eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And he goes right into the fact of fellowship. Look at that. 
from verse 2 into verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, which clear to you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things will write to you that your joy may be full. That's what abiding in Christ is, brethren, having fellowship with God, intimate, close, union, fellowship with God. He never leaves you or forsake you. Everything you do, you do that's well-pleasing to Him. You'd be, you be the type of person that he redeemed you to be. If you know, verse 29, that he is righteous. You know, it's the same language. If, if you have problems understanding, well, wait a minute. If you know, look at how Paul starts out. Uh, we just read it, Colossians chapter 3. If then... It's not going, well, really, are you really? No, it's saying, if the fact you are, then live this way. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices, oh, I did my good deed for the day. That's not what this means. As the, as the child without Christ, still in his sins, governed by the old sinful nature, there's no other way he can walk but adversely. Now that the one who's controlled and filled with the Spirit of God, there's no other way he can walk other than righteously. There is, a, there is an avenue that we must understand, right and wrong, true and false. Abide in him, brethren. Make it your aim. Make him your first love. Run the race as if to win. Because all are running it, whether they, whether they think it or not. They're all attaining something. I was reading about Nirvana the other day. The state of, uh, to a, a Hindu uh, and so forth. It's a state of, well, first of all, they say they get to that state, a blissful state, it's a state of nothingness, where the pleasure and and, uh, and hurt and everything else are, are nil. It's a state of nothingness. They will go and have thousands of gods to acquire this state. They will listen to all these, all these uh, men of the East that claim to be men of God, God-men, and all these things, all these philosophies and all that but they can never, ever answer the sin issue. They can never deal with the real problem. But we know what the truth is, because we let that abide in us that was from the beginning. We know the truth. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. And Father, I thank you for this message this morning. Lord, I pray that as those that listen to it, think about it, well, they would search the scriptures to see if what you say is true. What they've heard is true. I pray that we all listen with eager anticipation, but that we would go more eagerly with more anticipation back to your word and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. I thank you for the love. Even sometimes when we don't think about it, we don't understand it, we don't dwell upon it, we forget about it. But Lord, you never forget about us. 
You are loving us beyond imagination. And Father, by that understanding, I want to know your word. I want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, being conformed unto his death. Not that I've obtained anything now, but I this I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Some people think, and some people might have this grasping of this truth for the first time. I pray that we would listen to the Spirit of God as He teaches us Your Word. And I thank You for it. I thank You for this day, Father, and I praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Cam wants to...